Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so that we can create better products that customers love. This episode is sponsored by the Product Mastery Now community. We have a community for listeners of this podcast. Members are product managers, leaders, and innovators who are creating value for their customers, but they also want to learn with others who share that same commitment. They already have product experience and they want to learn more. As a member of the community, you can participate in the live video interviews with guests, not just the audio that you hear, asking questions you have that I didn't ask. Also, you get the interviews at the time they are made, months before others that are not in the community. And there's much more, of course. We have regular expert sessions, Q&As, discussion forums, and training. Find out more and apply to be a member at productmasterynow.com community. Now, we've talked a few times about jobs to be done in past episodes. And it's a customer discovery tool for uncovering the unmet needs of customers, the the tasks that they want to complete or the objectives that they want to achieve. When using this approach, we may find the customer has multiple jobs to be done. And of course, each job has a variety of attributes as well. We then need to know what is the most important one to tackle first, or maybe rating them in some fashion. So our guest has an approach for this for ranking and valuing jobs to be done. His name is Doug Stone. He's an expert at leading human-centric innovation and product design projects. He has informed over $1 billion in revenue growth for Fortune 100 companies, has a master's of product design and development from Northwestern University, which I'm jealous of because they're very rare to find an actual graduate degree in such a thing. And he teaches innovation strategy internationally. As a reminder, listeners, if you want a written detailed summary of our discussion, including that one-page action guide that we prepare for you that will contain key takeaways as well as discussion questions, that's at productmasterynow.com slash 431. And the reason why the action guide contains some discussion questions because there are a number of teams that use that as a resource to just level up, right? They're using it for their, like the lunch and learn sessions. If they hear an episode that would be helpful to them, grab hold of the action guide and it will help your team talk about it further. Okay. Doug, thank you so much for joining us. Chad, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time to talk about jobs to be done and ranking them and help your audience understand the value of that and their innovation process. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to finding out more about this as well. So we actually met at a conference at the end of the last year. That was the PDMA conference. And I did sit on part of your workshop. I was doing interviews for this podcast on and off. And so I could attend the sessions like I really wanted to. I missed the beginning of the workshop, so I don't actually have a good framing of this process. So I'm looking forward to the discussion. I first want to ask you just how did you get involved using jobs to be done? Well, in the the Northwestern Masters of Product Design and Development program, of course, we were introduced to this as a research methodology. And that was back in 2007. And so jobs to be done was just starting to be talked about as a methodology. Uh, Clay Christensen had grabbed onto the idea, was promoting it, and of course, consumer-centric product development was something that IDEO had pushed forward and was really starting to become the standard for doing any sort of fuzzy front-end product development. So after I'd been introduced to it in the program, I joined a company called Maddox Douglas. And at Maddox Douglas, we had a great opportunity because at that time, we had merged with a company from the East Coast called Marketecture, who was doing a lot of really great quant research. And a gentleman by the name of Brett Miller had come over from Research International Supergroup. Supergroup had grabbed onto this idea of creating prototypes for unmet needs. They didn't see it as jobs to be done, because again, 
jobs to be able to serve early in its process and being adopted as a standard. And so we started to take this sort of linguistic prototype that Research International had developed and bring it into a process where we did segmentation and then met with a, a segment that was very valuable to our client and then talk to them about their unmet needs. That produced a great number of unmet needs or jobs to be done. And the problem was, which ones do we bring into ideation? Which ones do we take to our client and use their resources in order to develop? And that's basically how we started to see a real need for evaluating them and comparing them. Later, when I joined Camp, they actually had bought Research International, which is very interesting in that they had actually bought the company that originated the sort of linguistic prototype. And when I got there, they, of course, are an aggregated market research company and Miller Brown, very focused on brand. They also had the need scope methodology. And we were able to then add into the valuation ideas around brand alignment. And after that was really where the ability to take a 12 or 14 jobs to be done, evaluate them and really understand which ones a company should take into ideation, develop, really started to take hold. Okay. So there's some good history here. Thanks for sharing that with us. And 16 years of history. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's grounded in the jobs to be done methodology. And we're going to find out with some of the elements because you mentioned this linguistic prototype approach. I know that's a piece of this yeah. The and just how all this works, right? But I think that in talking through this, you clued us in on why it's important to rank actual jobs to be done, right? That example of maybe 14 jobs that comes out of this. Do you have a specific example that you could share to just illustrate that? Why this ranking and valuing is important? Absolutely. So when do you do the qualitative research in order to get jobs to be done? Usually you come back and you've got a lot of different ideas about the goals people have, the struggling moments they have, the context of those moments. And when we were doing a project for a large quick service restaurant around breakfast, we came back with maybe 20, 25 different unmet needs that a quick service breakfast can satisfy for an individual. And testing them, we understand by testing them and understanding which brands a consumer would want to satisfy that job, we found that the second most important job to be done in morning quick service breakfast was actually owned by a competitor. It had a lot to do with feeling strong, feeling competent, feeling capable. And my clients' brand attributes were more around wholesomeness, fun, casualness. And so it was really important to have those additional criteria around that jobs to be done so that we didn't recommend it to them to go and ideate on it. Say, hey, you can, this is the second most important job to be done. Go get it. So what we ended up being able to recommend was the first most important job to be done, second, third, fourth, fifth. And as a grouping, it aligned with their brand so accurately that you could sense, oh, wow, if you go and if you develop communications around this, promotional ideas around this, there wasn't even a need to do any sort of menu adaptation. It was really around communication and promotional ideas. And they reversed a three-year decline in their breakfast just by understanding that and being able to go after it. And then interestingly, when some of the communications came back from the advertising agency, the creatives had naturally gravitated toward the second one. And when you'd read their copy and you'd, when, you'd, when you'd see the concepts, you'd be like, this satisfies this job to be done, <laughs> which is around being strong or competent. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for 
these other ones, which are more unwholesome. So that's just a really good example that your audience probably can relate to in their own breakfast experience and how this grouping of jobs to be done that you will get back from the marketplace really is influenced by the brand that your company has, the characteristics of it, and also what's most important to consumers. I really like the focus on brand and incorporating that because when I've talked to others about jobs to be done and implementing that, this isn't really an aspect that comes up, right? And as product people, we tend to be very focused on on creating value for the customer, right? What are their unmet needs and how do we do that? But the brand alignment is important too because we get out of sync with the customer when we're doing something that they don't recognize as making sense for them, right? Absolutely. So that's a, a great yeah. dimension. And I discovered this. It, we discovered it basically when we were working with health insurance companies. So we would go out and collect jobs to be done that people wanted and help. And that collection process grabbed things that health insurance companies were really responsible for, but also providers and health providers. And so we had to find a way in which to pull that apart. And so we started to incorporate into the criteria, what brand would you allow to solve this? And there were things that were really high level jobs to be done that people really wanted. And we said, do you want a health insurance company to solve this? It was like, no way. You know, we don't want a health insurance company solving that job to be done. And then interestingly too, our, one of our health insurance clients had a, had a, a very different brand characteristic than most health insurance companies. And we could actually see the difference when we said, do you want the health insurance industry to solve this? No. But do you want the specific health insurance brand to solve it? It was like, yeah. And so that also gave us a really good understanding of what to bring into ideation and show partnership, deep partnership between the health insurance company and the provider that was very believable for that client. So not only did you get what's important to consumers, you got what the industry was doing poorly and what the brand itself, the client's brand, could overcome from that industry sort of halo, dark halo. Yeah, that gives you a lot of lanes to deliver value. And sure, people want to know, how does this work, right? Take us through, I know we're not going to have time to go through a full workshop, but we'd love to hear the steps and what we think about. So you can take us through your ranking and valuing approach. Where do we start? Absolutely. So the first most important thing is that when you are doing the qualitative interviews to get the jobs to be done, you use some type of cognitive framework to organize the discussion guide. So a good example of this is we did a lot of work for financial services and we would read their standard qual that would come back and they would say that consumers wanted control, 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 control. Well, control is too high level of an unmet need for a job to be done. So when you look at control theory from a cognitive perspective, control really has three components. Control has a point of reference. It has a sensitivity to that point of reference. And then it has real and imagined levers that people pull in order to pull them closer or farther away from that point of reference. So that's an example of a cognitive model that we use in the discussion guide to go out and talk about jobs to be done. When we know that control is an aspect of people's jobs to be done, their goals and their struggling moments. So that's the first most important step that you have the right input to the process that's somewhat tied to cognitive theories. And there's lots of them. There's self-determination theory, there's planned behavior, lots of them. So then once you have that transcript, pull out pieces of the transcript that have to do with people's actions, the reasons they're doing things, 
and the tensions that they feel. And then you go through a diverge-converge process. And this is a workshop. It, and currently, with the advances in artificial intelligence, we've been able to actually use artificial intelligence to do much of this instead of having to get 10 clients in a room for a full-day workshop, which is quite, I think, an improvement in the process. But the process, whether you're doing it with human beings or artificial intelligence, is pretty much the same. You take these I because, or uh, these actions, these reasons, and these tensions, and you arrange them into I because but statements. So I eat fast food because it's convenient, but I worry that it's bad for my health. Or I eat fast food because it's affordable, but I worry about its impact on the food. Chain. Those are very different I because but statements with different reasons and different tension. And the process, what you want to do is you want to collect as many as you can. And then once you've collected them, look through them, categorize them, and they will fall into these categories that are emotionally based and then refine them down to ones that your business can actually do something about. I think that's one of the steps that a lot of jobs to be done research kind of avoids is that step of saying, is this something that we can even do something about? Is this something that our company can... And so that's a that's an important part of this. So that I call a linguistic prototype and they're very formatted and there's rules and I have a checker that allows you to make sure that you have formatted it probably because even I've been doing this for so many years, I will still triple tension. I have a problem because there's a problem, but this other problem is keeping me from solving these other two problems. Right. So, and that will, since this is a comparative test, when you go out and do a quant study on it, that'll score great. But then it really is useless because it doesn't have a context. It doesn't have a reason. It's just three tensions. So that's a very important part of this process is you collect these, you categorize them. In those categories, you find the ones that are most, that your company can do the most to solve. You make sure that they're formatted properly. And then you go out and you quant test them. Now, back in the day, we were only able to tests 12 of them because it's a fairly repetitive test it's a likert scale agree disagree and you want to ask not just do you agree or disagree with the full statement but you also want to ask do you agree or disagree with the action separately do you agree or disagree with the reason and separately do you agree or disagree with the tension then you want to flip the tension into a positive statement and ask whether you want this benefit delivered by this brand or this by this industry and then the last sort of criteria that helps in breaking up ties, is this becoming more or less important to you? Is this tension, is this struggling moment in your life becoming more or less important? That's the basic sort of structure of the power score for the job to be done in which they can be compared to each other. So you have these well-formatted statements, you test the full you test the action, the reason, the tension. You flip the tension into a positive. You ask whether the brand or the industry is something, is an entity that you trust to solve that. You ask whether it's becoming more or less important. That adds up using a weighted scale and you have a score. You basically have a very nice, concise score that you now can look down your jobs to be done and say, well, this one, you know, is 115 power score and this one's an 85. You're going to, they're both valuable, but you're going to get 15 more points of power if you solve that one. And you're going to lose points if you solve the 85 one. So, of course, you want to solve the ones that are more important 
And also, you want to aggregate them together. Sometimes there's score. And in this testing process, it's very helpful to test if you have a segmentation such that you can determine the rankings for each of your segments. And I'd say that's a huge benefit to this because what you'll see is that there are some jobs to be done that almost everybody ranks as important. And some segments rank as very, very important. And if that's a segment that you need to appeal to, that's important to the future of your company and revenue growth, then you're going to want to pay attention to that. If it's a segment that you really don't care about, you might deprioritize it. You, what you're basically doing is you're saying, I, I need a couple jobs to be done that are important to everybody. And I need a couple jobs to be done that are important to the segments that are really key to our growth. And this allows you to create very good market fit for your product because you're then taking those into ideation. You're then solving them. And then when you test your concepts, you should refer back to these and say, does this concept, the way we solved it, actually satisfy that tension, that job to be done for you as a consumer? So that's the overall process that we go through. And I'm always amazed at looking at some of the sort of clients that we come into that do jobs to be done. And we get so close to getting really good qualitative information. They might not be formatting them into a comparable linguistic prototype. They're doing some level of testing and then it all falls apart. And then it's people who look at the projects that they're already doing and they cherry pick their jobs to be done and say, oh, we're solving these because this project that's a favorite project by the VP or CEO, sure, that'll satisfy that. But they never know whether that job to be done is really valuable or not. And so this way of testing them is really important. So there's so much richness in here. And I want to step through a little more slowly for what we have time with, right? So I'm just going to take summarize this and ask you for some input along the way. So first, we're doing qualitative interviews to get jobs. This is with the customers. We're trying to understand their unmet jobs. For the fast food example you gave before, quick service breakfast, I I assume you were interviewing actual customers with with that in that case. Other things like maybe medical devices, we might be interviewing the medical professionals that are using those devices. Give us more insights about who you're talking to. Yeah, that's correct. So many times there's the user themselves and influencers. We did a project for an academic testing company. And they, when we interacted with them, they they believed that the student was the actual end customer. And when we did our preliminary sort of interviews, we realized that the parent had a huge influence on the student and on their education and So my recommendation was to do a dual segmentation, to segment both the parents and the students themselves. When we did that, what we found was there was a student-parent combination that was ideal for them. But if it was just the parent and a different type of student, it was not ideal. If it was the right student type with the wrong parent type, again, not ideal. So we went and we interviewed um, both types and we found out whether or not they had a parent that was a match or a student that was a match and then looked at the jobs to be done from that perspective. And we actually found this really interesting halo effect inside of this overlapping segmentation where you could influence certain parental types into being the better parent type and different students into being the better student type um, if they had the corresponding student or parent type. So it's very important to go and actually talk to a group of consumers that are are valuable to the growth of your company, not just talking to everybody. And so, but you do test with everybody. So that's the really interesting thing about this process is that talking to 
key users, but you're testing the jobs to be done across a broad consumer base. And so you can see the ranking shifts and changes. We did a project with a veterinary pet insurance company. And this was during the heyday of the media talking about like fur babies and that there's this huge shift in how consumers are getting married later. They're having children later. And so they're treating animals like people. And this veterinary pet insurance company was convinced that the market for their product was growing exponentially, that they would be able to charge. They needed to have products that had premium or benefits that were much more similar to human health insurance because that's what people were used to. And that's what they would hear from their adamant users. So we went and talked to those users and we got back a lot of jobs to be done that were really about, this is my fur baby and I love this and I will do anything for them. When we tested those jobs to be done across the general population, they stunk up the room. Like they, there was just no value in it except for this very thin niche group of individuals. And we went back to the drawing board. We went out and did more interviews and we interviewed people who were like, yeah, it's a dog or it's a cat and I love it and I care about it. Not my fur baby. And we purposely went and talked to families with animals and, and we got another set of jobs to be done. And those didn't even test really great. And we tested a third set of jobs to be done that were even pulled back more and were oriented more towards a category of people who had needs, jobs to be done that were more around not being emotionally drawn into spending their life savings on a procedure that may not pay off or will pay off for just right. a couple of years for an animal that's only going to live for 12 years to begin with. Right. And it, it changed the actual model of the organization that went from trying to develop more human level benefit packages to developing a more information-based, vet, vet benchmarking-based, cost-based product that they would sell to companies as a, as a worker benefit. And so absolutely altered their business. Very different business plan. model. Right. 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 Yep. Right. And it was all because of what we were talking about earlier is like, who do you go talk to? And then you do talk to people that are like, it's in, in really strong users, but then you need to test across a broad audience. And you'll see all of a sudden, ooh, it just doesn't reach the level of value that we need to in order to invest the money to solve the problem, solve the job to be done. Okay. So we could dig into each one of these in more detail, but for our sake of time, the cognitive model, it sounds like this is an aspect of when we do qualitative research, we're trying to pull out characteristics from the people that we're talking to and organize them into some kind of themes. And this is pre-work to think about, well, are we at too high of a level? Are we already asking about a theme as opposed to pieces of that might manifest themselves in other ways? And I assume some of this is just experience, thinking through like your example, control is going to come up a lot. We need to think about what control really means and maybe ask different sort of questions, correct? Correct. Yeah, correct. Okay. And there are about five or six cognitive models that I tend to come back to many times. And they're all around making decisions or making how people come to conclusions because jobs to be done really are about reaching goals. I have a goal in my life I want to reach and I have to make certain decisions in my life about my resources, about my time, about who I'm associating with, the people that I trust to help me in, in, in pursuing these goals. And so for jobs to be done, self-determination theory, decision theory, the experience cycle, there's a couple that, that seem to come around a lot. 
And then yeah. you look through the lens of the, your client's industry, right? So it's not, you're not asking, I get this question a lot. It's self-determination theory. It's about relatedness and purpose and autonomy. And so they're like, well, do we ask people, like, do they want to be autonomous? And it's like, no. When you, you look at through the lens of the industry and how does the products and services that you are offering impact autonomy? Um, and then you ask the questions in that character characteristic. Yeah. And then what you get back, you get back really great qualitative information from uh, actions, reasons, intentions. Yeah. That's how you want to organize the transcripts that you collect from the interviews. You're organizing that into actions, reasons, intentions, and you're putting them into a framework, right? You have this, you're taking this action because of some reason, but there's these tensions. The thing, last question that I want to ask you, which is about what are you doing for the AI aspect? And this is where I came into your workshop at the conference, which was we were doing that work. And I went along with what I was asked to do. I didn't really have the full framework for where this fit in. But how are you helping to enable this to be a faster process with AI? Yep. So the workshop itself, you have gone into the transcripts and you've cut out two or three sentences that a person actually said. You're putting it on a three by five card, basically, and you're putting it on a wall. So you have 400 to 500 of these statements on a wall and the participants will read through them all and then sit down and yell out categories that they've seen. And then you'll get to about 10 categories and then you physically get up and take these off the wall, take the tape off the back and bucket them into these categories. So this is really great empathy exercise for clients. I have heard them many times be done with this part of the exercise and say, I really understand our consumers more than I ever had having read these and categorize them. It's just not worth the time. So AI is able to then do this for us. So it does both the extraction of the statements And then once those statements are extracted, it does the categorization and reassigning to categories of those statements. So now what you do is you start the workshop with a pile of 50 cards that are of a category. Instead of having to read through 500 cards and figure out a category, put them into it. So that's one place where we're knocking a lot of man hours out of the process. And you still get, because a person's sitting down with those cards, the feeling of, oh, I get to understand my consumer better. I understand the category better. So that's one place. We've taken it a step farther and we've taken those stacks of cards and we've asked transformation engines to, general intelligence transformation engines to now pull out actual actions and actual reasons, hmm. actual tensions. So instead of having the raw transcript in front of you, you now have the raw transcript and it already told you what the actions are in there and what the reasons are and what the tensions are. So now I can sit down with a category and I can say, well, here's all the actions that happen in this category. And here's all the reasons that people are doing things in this category. And here's all the tensions in this category. Now play a little mix and match and come up with your eye because buts. So again, we're knocking time out of the process. Where we haven't gotten quite there yet is for the artificial intelligence to be able to create the eye because buts statement itself. It, with any level to, to combine those with it, it tries to level it up way too high. So this is definitely a laddering exercise. And it's right now with current artificial intelligence engines that we've worked with, it tries to stay at the highest level. 
And that's not as valuable as going down. So that's where now we're at. Where we can knock all this these hours out of getting the transcripts to the point where human beings can sit down and reconfigure, play mix and match, and get to the right level. Excellent. Yeah. And there's certainly value in having the human beings, the custom your clients in this case, right. understanding deeper insights about their customers through this process too. Okay. Absolutely. There's a lot of depth there, and we only hit part of the depth. I don't know that this is a system that you have evolved through your experiences, both education and on the... I don't know if there's any resources that you can point us to that help us understand some of the details more. Well, from the interviewing part, Bob Molesta has a wonderful little red book on how to do interviewing for jobs to be done. And I do, after playing with this for so long, I do think people get a little bit too in the weeds on jobs to be done. And so I think there is a value and that's out there. Um, otherwise, there really isn't a lot of you know, things out there right now to, to, okay. to be able to read about it. So listeners can go back and listen carefully to the steps you provided and obviously reach out to you as well because you do this and you can yeah. take people down further. I'll find that book and I'll put a link to it as part of the show notes for this. That'd be great. There's also the PDMA presentation is at the PDMA site that I gave and that has, it has the checker in it. Excellent. The insight checker. So there's, there's, so the linguistic prototype, the yeah, because but statement to make sure it's right. It has the way in which the weighting system works and the quantitative testing. Good. So yeah. that's and those there. links will be in the so show notes as well. Excellent. Good resources, Doug. Thank you for that. And I was going to ask you about innovation quotes because we like them around here. What do you have for us and what does it mean to you? So I work with a lot of large corporations and especially at the executive level. And mostly executives say, well, we're not creative. And so we're going to have a problem with this. And so I they just need to be curious. And Sir Ken Robson, who I love, he's passed, but he did such a good job of describing how to bring out the best in an individual in an education system. And what Jobs to Be Done is doing is trying to educate the client on who the consumer is. They need to be a student of the consumer. I like to say, I like to say that the only industry that doesn't need consumer-centric research is the luxury industry because all the executives are actually the users, and they always will be. But if you talk about like dog food, it's unlikely that the senior executives in a dog food company are really caring about anymore the dog food that they're bringing home. So anyway, Sir Ken to say, you can't just give someone a creativity injection. You need to create an environment of curiosity and a way in which to bring out their best. And I think that jobs to be done is that. I think jobs to be done as a methodology that when companies adopt it is a way to bring out an environment of curiosity about consumers. And I like to say, because I'm always hurting cats, that curiosity is a lot better than creativity. Um, when you're hurting cats because curiosity did kill the cat. We won't go into whether we like cats or don't like cats. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for the quote. had the pleasure of seeing Sir Ken Robinson once at a conference and just such an excellent speaker. And that's a great quote from him as well. Right. Okay. How can people find out more about the work that you are doing? And if they want to connect with you, what can you tell us? Yep. Drivestrategy.com is the website. We've got a little bit of a blog there with some examples on it. My LinkedIn page has all the presentations that I've ever done. The PDMA, I think, is an an awesome resource for information like this. I also, as part of the Jobs to Be Done work, work with portfolios of concepts or even portfolios of Jobs to Be Done. There's a whole agile programming aspect to this that we didn't talk about at all. 
That's really interesting because Agile uses user stories, which is almost the same as a job to be done. It's so close. So I think it, and everyone wants to be agile for some reason. And so I think there's a really good place to look. So drivestrategy.com, my LinkedIn site, and the PDMA, I think are some really great resources for people to go to check out. Excellent. Thanks for sharing those. And I'll make sure they are in the show notes as well to find. Doug, thank you so much for being with us and taking us through some more insights in the jobs be done and specifically ranking outcomes. You're welcome. And really, just the more people try to use jobs to be done as a standard inside of their organization and look at it as an asset, I think the more successful they'll be in going into the later stages of product development and concepting and concept testing and prototyping and have much better market fit. So it's really a wonderful tool and it's a wonderful best practice. Wonderful. And thanks for your time with us. And listeners, remember, if you want a written summary of everything we discussed, as well as that one-page takeaway, one-page action guide, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 431. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.